good evening, everybody, and welcome to Chat with the Designers, your live online interactive weekly magazine for hams, home brewers, and experimenters across the fruited plains, no matter what time zone that you are in. The uh, This is uh, one of your co-hosts, George, N2APB, along with uh, other co-host, Joe, N2CX, and together, roughly every other week, we bring you a new episode of Chat with the Designers, focusing on technology tools, techniques, homebrewing, cool projects, unbelievable phenomena, and other types of uh, things that uh, you wouldn't under uh, you wouldn't believe that we can talk about sometimes here relating to ham radio and uh, tonight it's about time if you haven't uh, if you haven't caught on to uh, all of the hints via our our uh, pre-show, promotion or advertising on the lists and such this is about time you can't beat it you can't make it you can't solve you can't uh, uh, get around it you can't put it in a bottle you can't run away from it it's always here and it's a darn elusive thing to measure but we try as we can to synchronize up with it and that's what we're going to be talking about here um, now most of you folks here listening on the uh, and to the program live, probably don't get a chance to uh, or, or have a desire to listen to it all again on the podcasts. But as of late, I've taken to kind of putting some creative, uh, uh, what we call bumper music or bumper bumper uh, soundtracks um, lead into the program and, and the uh, lead out at the end. Just a little bit of uh, ditties that I like uh, that are my favorites or kind of interesting sounds. And oftentimes try to have it be related to the show material. Now, I tried to have it ready today to actually play live for you. But if you get a chance later on, listen to the audio bumper on the podcast. And uh, it's kind of an interesting collection of of music and sayings and such that relate to time. And it all relates to what we're talking about here tonight. <clears throat> and uh, um, we're going to cover some of the... Uh, kind of like the basics of what's available there for us as hams to synchronize up to from a time perspective, how we use it, why we use it, why it's important, what some of the time standards are that are out there. But then also, maybe at the second half of the program, we're going to talk at length about the project, this, the Chat with the Designers project, which uh, if you've seen the whiteboard, it's the... Uh, what we call the, the CWTD clock, the Chat with a Designer Arduino clock. And this has got amazing legs for a project, and it's really fun. And we've got the first, uh, what I call the phase zero, um, down and working, and that's what pic- what is pictures. So we're going to go through that design. We're going to build on some of the, pro- uh, the principles and the basics that we talked about last week, last time, with the Arduino processor. We're going to continue using the Arduino in many of our projects or many of our subjects of our discussions going forward. We feel that there's a, it's a very powerful little platform. It's easy to use for the novice uh, microcontroller user, if you will. And um, it's very popular and lots of different interfaces. And we're going to add to that interface as uh, we talk about the chat with the designer's shield. And uh, we'll get a little bit more into that in just a bit. A little bit of housekeeping here while I have everybody's attention is um, we've got some conflicts coming up in the near future 
between business travel and, and other family matters and such, the next episode of Chat with the Designers normally would be two weeks from today. Uh, however, it is going to be three weeks from today. Also, another bit of housekeeping, it's kind of, this is on a good note, is that um, Joe and I are making a presentation at a local um, ham club uh, tomorrow night, actually, over in, Jer in New Jersey. And um, we're going to be talking about some things. We're going to be announcing something called the Chat with a Designer Junk Box. So what we're going to be doing is talking about a, a, a collection of parts that we are making available just, just about at cost and for the mailing to anybody who wants to order a, um, a good collection of parts that are very useful. We talk about making projects here in the chat with the designers. We're talking about making projects at this club meeting tomorrow. But uh, bottom line is that um, from meters to transistors to potentiometers to LCDs to copper-clad board um, and kind of everything in between. There is an awful lot of parts that Joe and I have collected over the years of doing all of our different projects. So what we're doing is just kind of uh, scraping the bottom of our barrel, which is pretty substantial, and uh, putting together um, collections of these parts. And we'll soon be announcing that. So the Chat with the Designer Junk Box is going to be a, a thing coming up real shortly. And then for those home brewers amongst us here, I think you may enjoy that. Okay, on with the show. Um, Joe, do you want to maybe lead us off? I've been yakking a little bit too much here, and we're talking about time and uh, the kind of time that, that uh, we keep track of as ham radio operators uh, varies from time to time, and um, we, we use it in different ways. And in the past, before we had atomic clocks and and uh, fancy internet synchronized time and all that sort of stuff, We there were different techniques that were used. Joe, can you maybe kind of lead us off here and set the stage for us? Certainly, George. Thank you. Yeah. Well, back back in the uh, the old days before technology really came around, uh, the very original uh, origin of timekeeping was pretty simple. When uh, people were hunter-gatherers or... or um, Worked the fields, um, the rise of the sun in the morning, and uh, set a sun in the evening, set the times. Uh, it wasn't really important to have any real accuracy in it. When the sun came up, uh, you didn't have any lights, so um, that was the time to go out and do things. And then uh, it's time to go to bed when the sun set. Very, very simple. As time came on, we, we had uh, various other ways and a big jump, but uh, uh, there were clepsydras and all sorts of uh, water clocks and stuff that, that we use to keep time. But um, a lot of people did not have, uh, didn't have access to them. So they used simple things like perhaps the church bell in the town would chime um, on the hours to, uh, to keep people aware of what was time, what was what time it was. And uh, it was good enough to run business and to uh, do their daily, daily uh, chores. Um, when the industrial age came around, um, factory bells were or factory, factory chimes and alarms. Very important to keep the workers uh, knowing when it was time to get to work and uh, when it was time for lunch. Some of these school alarms would uh, would ring to draw the children into school. 
and then they would uh, chime again at the end of the day. Uh, there were town criers in large towns who went went block to block, uh, telling people what time it was. Uh, and as as technology became cheaper, people were able to afford mechanical clocks in their homes, and there are any number of them. But uh, that became the main way that that uh, everyday people could uh, could maintain time. They'd know what time of day it was. And as long as they had some means of setting it accurately, perhaps a town clock or whatever, they could do it. Of course, uh, as we got into the digital age, everybody's got a digital digital watch on their uh, on their wrist, and uh, their digital clocks abounding all over the house and on your cell phone and uh, probably on your radio. Um, various means of setting them. Um, radio and TV broadcasts are a means of setting time. Um, probably fairly accurately within uh, a minute or so. And uh, as technology improved now, and this will play into what we're uh, going to discuss later, there is time dissemination from uh, all sorts of things. The Our governments, we're going to focus mainly on North America, but governments all over have some sort of radio uh, signal with times available. Uh, so that you can know exactly what time it is and, and set your clock uh, manually. And of course, the Internet has time available, and um, lately GPS has come to uh, pass. But, um, you know, that's just some of the background of what time is. We're going to go into much more technology later. But, um, George, why don't you uh, tell us um, um, what the relevance of time is to us as hams? Ah, uh, Indeed. The uh, I think time is uh, well critical. I was two minutes late, I think, signing on here for our uh, our radio program. Um, all things considered, you want to make sure that our skeds that you keep your skeds as close as you can. That's you know reasonably accurate time. You might think um, if you're kind of close, it's good. The closer the better. But if you're if you're off a little bit, it's not a killer. Um, the 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 kind of synchronization that we require is pretty easy. I mean, listening to either the, uh, you know, the transition of the television program on the hour, um, looking at the clock and a man with two watches never really knows what time it is, is an old adage and it's very true. Uh, but sometimes you can get pretty close, close enough. Joe, quick question back to you is what did they use? What did, what did you use in the old days <laughs> before, before, um, before, uh, well, before they had uh, any kind of mass communication via radio? So let's say back in the in the uh, early 1900s or late 1800s, as far as time, syn synchronizing on a time uh, between two people far away. Um, <laughs> good question, and I think you threw me a softball. A lot of uh, a lot of money was spent and uh, technology developed for the railroads here in the states because and I'm sure the rest of the world too because they had to synchronize when uh, um, uh, trains were going to be on the tracks so they didn't interfere and so they keep schedules so the trains were a great disseminator of time train stations always kept very good time and that was available to uh, the local populace. Yeah, good point. And even before that, too, I mean, as far as like Western Union and so on, uh, 
it just wasn't able to, one was not able to maintain good timing and uh, necessarily or accurate, accurate timing uh, before the telegraph and, and uh, times before that. And John, uh, or not John, but somebody, shoot, who just went off the, uh, the scroll, scrolled off. Somebody mentioned the uh, telephone services. I remember this when I was a kid. I hadn't even thought about it since then. But I uh, used to be able to call up a telephone number, and they would tell, they would tell you the accurate, uh, uh, the current time. And those are the kind of things that we do these days. Now it gets a little more tricky, of course, when you, we start employing more technologies. And we're going to slide through an awful lot of the uh, the easy stuff and obvious stuff as we build up and and kind of establish a ground in here as, as far as like why we need time, accurate time measurement or representation. Um, some of our modes today are very accuracy oriented for proper operation. Uh, Joe, Joe, good good point you made in some of the notes earlier that uh, about CCW coherent CW um, was synchronized to 10 millisecond windows. And back when we were doing that, and I made a presentation one time at uh, FDIM a long number of years ago. Um, on a CCW-based um, transmissions and such. And so we took, uh, it was Pete. I made the presentation with Pete WB2VVL. I can't remember his name. But uh, ultimately, we took extreme measures to make sure that we were, you know, that we were synchronized to the same clock and then we didn't drift around and so on. So that's kind of an important thing. Even in the earlier days of digital modes, as digital modes have proliferated and gotten more complex and and uh, demanding, and as far as generation, precision generation of waveforms as well as decoding of those waveforms, um, the digital modes demanded an awful lot more on synchronizing, synchronizing the time. Howie, do you have a question? Okay, Howie, your your PTT is activating or something. Maybe it's your Vox. So just Thanks. Appreciate that. Um, so um, as the, uh, the the digital modes became more demanding, I think the most extreme now is that of uh, JT65 is, is one of the weak signal ones. We've talked about this in the past. And the more precisely you know where you are in frequency and in time, um, when to expect a signal, the narrower the bandwidth that you can impose on on the signal either being transmitted or being received, and thus the signal to noise uh, correspondingly goes way up, and you are much better able to uh, be received or to hear the transmitted signal when you know exactly when it's going to be transmitted, and then because you can narrow your bandwidth down there uh, to be focusing exactly on that frequency at that time, and you're able to best be able to discern it or uh, differentiate it from the noise. And that's where the intelligence comes through. Um, weak signal processing extends to um, moon bounce and other types of uh, satellite communications where uh, it is, you're dealing with very great distances of, of transmission. And by nature, the, the signal levels are going to be low on the receive side, or you're dealing with low power to begin with being transmitted, and thus the the synchronization of exactly when to listen and to the sequence of um, the modulation the modulation sequence 
needs to be synchronized bet um, between the receiving station and to what is being transmitted. And that's going to enable you to receive uh, with the adequate amount of signal to noise ratio and be able to hear the station. It's going to make a difference. And oftentimes you can really hear, um, you can hear below the noise level, if you know what I mean. So signals that are down below the noise level that you, in other words, you cannot hear them with your ear when you're hearing just the, uh, uh, when you're hearing the hash of the band and with the signals in there. But if, uh, if you're receiving electronics, knows when and where to look for that um, transmitted signal, the low power signal, you're going to be able to pull it out. So it's really an enabler in a big way to modern communications. And uh, we use it in almost, well, in many, many diff different devices that uh, that we deal with. Uh, some, sometimes you might not even realize that uh, household communications, household electronics is using time as a basis for its operation, whether it's television, of course, radio, uh, there are other types of uh, very low precision time functions that are implemented by appliances and, and microcontrollers and appliances these days. But we hams really revolve around, um, in the most common sense, using WWV, WWVH, WWVB, and CHU, CHU Canada, which is what I had uh, on, on the rig when I signed on originally here at the program start. Joe, do you want to take us through some of those uh, time sources for synchronization? Sure. Yeah, and one other thing that um, actually I've, I was involved with at one time. You wouldn't think about it, but um, cell phones also use time because when cell phones are uh, active, they're uh, they're taking power. So one of the means of uh, reducing the, uh, the receiver power when they're not transmitting is to actually turn them off most of the time and then only periodically listen. So, uh, so the time is very important there, so that they synchronize their uh, the time when uh, when they can be uh, turned back on and listen for a signal. Similarly, the uh, the digital uh, signal methods use very precise timing for uh, uh, sending the data back and forth. So the time is very important there. Not uh, exactly time of day, but uh, certainly very stable and very known uh, time periods. The um, the radio uh, signals that uh, we, we use here in the, the U.S. are primarily WWV, uh, WWVH, and WWVB, as George mentioned, uh, run by the National uh, Institute of Standards and Technology. The transmitters are in Fort Collins, Colorado. And they transmit uh, the familiar time signals you've heard, uh, where they have a beep every second, and every minute they have a voice uh, enunciation of the time. And at the uh, at the minute, at the exact minute, there's a loud, uh, there's a long beep, a half second beep of tone that can be used to synchronize the clock to the time um, on the HF uh, the HF uh, transmissions. WWVB has a, a different pattern where they have a, um, um, it's now a combined uh, level shift and a phase shift, which is a long, long period. Uh, the the uh, variations, the digital time is sent as uh, as uh, bits that take uh, seconds to uh, to get across, but it's a a wide uh, uh, 
um, wide area transmission, very, very accurate uh, to uh, the National Institute of Standards and Time uh, Standards so that um, they can disseminate the time signals across the U.S. Similarly, in Canada, the um, Canadians have, a trans have transmitters in um, uh, outside Ottawa on HF at uh, 3330, um, 7580, and uh, 14670 kilohertz. Well, they have a similar um, similar pattern. They uh, they transmit beeps every second, and uh, they have a, a time signal sent uh, between I think it's 30 seconds and uh, 40 seconds after the minute, where it's sent in FSK. The time itself is sent in FSK so that a simple decoder can be used to detect the time. I forgot to mention that WWV, the HF station, also embedded in there um, every minute is a burst of uh, what sounds like raspy buzz, which is a digital representation of the time. There are uh, inf There is information included in uh, some of our reference material that has a detail of that, and uh, at some future point, we're going to be looking at uh, decoders to uh, to do these. WWV, WWVH cover the U.S. fairly well. Um, the HF stations pick the right frequency and time of day. WWVB covers um, the middle part of the country. Um, at night, they tend to go toward the coasts. But since they're at 60 kilohertz, they're very subject to uh, noise. So it can be marginal for um, use on the coasts, east and west coasts. CHU has lower power in its HF, so it covers kind of the, um, the, the northern middle of the U.S. Uh, during the day, extending to uh, uh, the right times of day, extending to uh, almost the entire UHF. Um, familiar to us here on the east coast, some folks out, uh, out to the west, the South may not have heard them. Um, <clears throat> there are, of course, other uh, other time standards available, generally not available to the public, although they sometimes are. Um, do you want to talk about what uh, the uh, standards people use for their time, George? Are you referring to like the rubidium clocks and such, and the atomic clocks? Just as an aside, we included a bunch of good material here. Um, those of you who have, have been long time with Chat with a Designer episodes know that one of the things Joe and I pride ourselves on is collecting some really good information for listeners. And uh, if you're interested at all in the topic of the night, chances are really good that you'll find the references that we provide really, really helpful for you to um, launch into and, and delve deeper into some of the topics that uh, we, we do hit on. We're not, we don't plan on, we don't have time to, to drill down into, you know, the inner depths of WWV timing standards and, and even with the rubidium clock, for example, and and it's really it, you can get really really good precision and accuracy with clocks that are atomic based. Um, rubidium is using the transitions of electrons in I guess it's rubidium 87 molecule uh, atoms, and um, that is what's used to actually control frequency because those frequency transitions do not change too readily. Cesium is another one. I think cesium is just a, is a more, even more difficult uh, one to 
to manage. Um, I, I showed the rubidium clock of some somebody's project, and it's really interesting. There is a um, an LP. Oh shucks, what is it called? Uh, I have to scroll down a little bit. LP something 100. L. There it is. L L Pro L P R O L P R O dash 101 rubidium oscillator. Yeah, I think it's a commercial unit that some hams have industriously or ingeniously uh, gotten it, um, uh, got their hands on and, and put together the power supply and some instrumentation and interfacing in order to grab that time signal coming out. We talked um, a lot at uh, during episode 30, I think, we're in episode 48, so it was a while back, about GPS, you know, the satellites, constellation of satellites overhead and so on. Uh, Joe, the the uh, um, the satellites, the GPS satellites depend on cesium standard. I believe so. They they have a um, a good solid standard in each, and they also synchronize to the ground, so they maintain uh, their clocks very very accurately and very precisely. Yeah. So uh, when you do receive the uh, the uh, the GPS signal and are using the time function in it. Um, it's it's a pretty accurate one. In fact, uh, there are many factors that that kind of come into re handling or dealing with accurate time sources. Thing you might start off with an accurate uh, foundation for your for your time, whether it's transitions of electrons in an atom. Um, but by the time it gets to you, there might be some variables added you have to be careful of. And as far as how many buffers you put a, a signal transition through, um, whether it's transmitted over the air and how many how many um, bounces through the ionosphere does it take to get to you, um, these things need to take into, be taken into consideration. At the end of the day, time accuracy is the time accurate is the accuracy of time that you need for your application. Oftentimes it is good enough, and if it's not good enough, you'll know. And what we're going to be starting off with, um, oh, um, there's just one more reference I wanted to kind of point uh, everybody to. Besides the, the pretty cool cesium and rubidium uh, links that we have, we have a, a link there for GPS. Now, it's the same, this is, that's a, um, a simplistic project that we explained back in uh, episode number 30. And it consists, if you if you see this on the whiteboard, it consists of a GPS receiver um, with the time with the, the signal coming out and being sent over to a, a small chip. Uh, it's called the um, micro micro something. I forgot what micro M stands for. It's a floating point uh, unit FPU, and uh, it's a small eight pin or it's eighteen pin chip that is able to take that NMEA, uh, that's the standard for serial transmission of GPS data, and then decode it and put it out to a serial display. Yeah, go ahead. So that's an easy way to kind of get time, and we're going to actually implement this in a, in a bit, and we're going to talk about that uh, like right now. But first, before we do that, um, questions. We, we've been rattling on for 30 minutes here, and we just wanted to provide a kind of a broad base of understanding of what time signals are available for us to synchronize to. Transmitted waves, uh, transmitted signals, 
uh, via WWV or CHU, some local um, high accuracy time standards such as rubidium. That rubidium oscillator, for example, costs about maybe $150. So it's really within the realm of capability for one's bench if you really place a high value on, on synchronized time. There's a whole group. I mentioned this on the text uh, in a text window. There's a whole group on, on Yahoo groups and here in the ham community called Time Nuts. And they, they focus an awful lot on the accuracy of their time measurements and all sorts of equipment and techniques for ensuring that they know time to the nth uh, um, precision. And it, it's really quite uh, um, quite an interesting group. They have some great references. And again, we pointed you to those back in the G, GPS uh, uh, episode. But are there any questions about uh, some of the basics here, some of your experience? I, I would be really interested to, to understand if uh, uh, how far the WWV and CHU signals can be reached um, around the U.S. and even beyond. Is anybody not able to hear from at some time during the day on one of the bands or another, WWV or CHU? I'm assuming that people have tried. Is there somebody who just hasn't tried? Have you ever, is it, and I don't mean to point it out this way, but is there anybody who doesn't know, has does not know about the, you know, the, the standards that are available at 10 megahertz, for example, and, and for timing purposes? Okay, I assume that everybody George, does. several... Several folks have uh, mentioned in the uh, in the chat window that, uh, for example, uh, Alan AEW said that he can hear CHU at 3330 right now, and there was a five who said that uh, he can pretty reliably hear CHU, uh, pr presumably in the uh, southern part of the states. So I would imagine that at some time or another, most of them are are audible uh, over most of the U.S. Okay, that's good to know. I'd be curious about the, the southeast, particularly down in Florida, for example. If you look at the propagation uh, graphic for CHU, it shows that uh, it, it misses the southeast U.S. Um, that's, that's maybe subjective. I, I don't know. But uh, nonetheless, uh, one, of the, one of the techniques we're going to talk about here is indeed synchronizing up to uh, one of these time sources. And uh, that's why we're kind of interested in there. Okay, then. Well, let's get into it right away, then. Joe and I wanted to, uh, to build on the Arduino concept. And, um, and time has is, is kind of been in our queue of, of topics that we wanted to delve into a bit here and chat with the designers. And uh, there's no better way of really exercising a principle, exploring a technique, trying out a skill, than to actually build up a project or even in the minimalist sense, to discuss the project and study it and, and hear about it and, and try to understand it. So um, what we decided to do was to make a uh, an Arduino clock. Now, one of the first things that you do when you want to play with the Arduino and with any kind of a project is you look across, the, you do an Internet search, and you try to find somebody who's already done it before, or something close, and then you can copy and modify it uh, to your to your liking. Well, when you do that, you will not find an awful lot beyond um, uh, an Arduino that uses an RTC chip, a real-time clock chip that is set manually, and thereafter displays the correct time. We hams like to be a little bit more accurate than that, perhaps, and have a little bit more interaction with our projects. So... What we designed 
was a series. We, we, we were taking the Arduino and we're adding to it a, a series of simple circuits that initially start by synchronizing um, an internal timekeeping registers in the Arduino uh, to, to uh, a signal that's coming in from the outside. Now, the signal coming in from the outside, first off, is going to be the tones that we hear on CHU and WWV. And uh, if you, I'm sure you've heard it, but bear with me. I have CHU on right now at uh, 3.330 megahertz, and you hear uh, you hear uh, we're at the top of the minute right now. You hear a tone right now. The tone that after, the tone that was there after the speaking was at the top of the uh, was at the top of the minute. So pretend that you've got a clock that is either suspended at a certain time, like pretend that the time, well, the time is exactly 8 hours and 40 minutes. Uh, the seconds is not important right now because you've got it suspended at 8 minutes and uh, 8 hours, 40 minutes. So um, as soon as a tone, a certain tone is received, it starts your clock, it starts the seconds going on your clock right at the precise moment. So in that way, the time of your Arduino clock is synchronized to the actual time source that is sending that particular signal. Now we'll get into a little variances that, that can come about, but that's the basic principle of that, that we're employing first in this clock. And this is, a, this is a circuit that I alluded to earlier in some of the posts where you could actually very quickly build this up with an, L, an LCD, it's a standard LCD shield. Um, the wiring is shown there. Um, on the on the whiteboard, and then the tone decoding. The idea is you take your audio coming in from your receiver, just plug it into your phone's uh, plug on your receiver, and you take that 100 millivolt signal or so um, tone, and you put it into the uh, your tone decoder circuit, as shown in the diagram. It's going to take that, and we'll talk in greater depth about how the circuit works, but bottom line is that it's going to take and uh, detect and turn on an LED when a 1,000 hertz tone is detected. And when it does, it's going to signal over to the Arduino that, hey, I've received this special tone that signifies the top of the minute, and therefore I'm going to start my seconds going from that moment on. So the idea is you set up your clock, for the coming minute, in, that, in the case that I've been talking about, it would be 8 hours, 40 minutes. And then you put it into a mode that waits for that tone. And when the tone is detected, it starts the clock. It starts the seconds going, and your clock starts ticking away. And uh, in the most basic implementation, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the, the method. We have another simple um, addition onto that. And if you had like a one-second... Uh, a one pulse per second clock coming from a GPS module, that one second pulse coming in would be able to be detected in a very similar way, actually going straight into the Arduino. And uh, the, si the seconds could be synchronized up with appropriate software to, to do that synchronization, and your clock would be accurate to the degree that that one pulse per second uh, was accurate. Um, Joe, do you want to kind of if I if I kind of got tongue tangled in that, do you want to kind of explain that in your own words and 
and see if I said it right, and then we'll we'll just go forward. No, I think you I think you did it pretty well, George. Yeah, the point is that um, at the um, particularly at the minute uh, marker, there is a thousand kilohertz tone that's longer than the ones at the second. So that if you detect that as with this 56070 coder and use that to um, sync the clock, it will sync it at the uh, it'll sync your clock at the minute and then uh, freewheel after that um, pretty accurately. It is um, a couple hundred milliseconds long for each of the seconds, but it's a half second long at the uh, at the minute. So it's distinguishable so that you can use that to uh, to uh, tick off the clock or to uh, set the clock at the minute to uh, synchronize it. Once you have it close, that just uh, sets it exactly. Yep, and uh, the software is posted there um, underneath. Uh, let's see, Joe, you missed it, so let me point it out to everybody else, too. It's underneath the actual picture of the unit uh, that's in operation. It says CWTD clock. That's the one that is displaying the 20 hours, 0 minutes, 0 seconds. Um, so right under there it says uh, CWTD clock software. That's the Arduino, the INO file that is, uh, that's running the, the prototype that we have right now. Now that's going to be updated from time to time. I just was able to get uh, basic operations of setting the clock and displaying and starting of the, uh, the ticking process. And uh, I'm, I'm having some trouble, and well, I'm, there are always bugs, and I'm adding new features and capabilities. So um, the software there will run just as you see it uh, on the screen, and very soon we'll have it uh, in, in full operation. It's the audio cable. If you're looking at that photo, it's the audio cable. It's a white cable that plugs into the audio jack, and that goes over to my rig that is uh, receiving, in this case, 3.330 megahertz. Uh, CHU. Um, going back up to the to the circuit, let me explain a couple of the uh, uh, the basic ways that um, the, the software and the hardware work. Now, once again, just reviewing the hardware. The hardware is a, a simple, and I suggested that that if you're interested in doing something like this, you could get yourself a what Joe. It's about a seven dollar ninety five cent. Uh, blank board that is uh, can be used for putting circuits onto and it plugs into the uh, the Arduino Uno. Proto Shield. Um, a Proto Shield. And it plugs right into the top of the Uno. So you got to get your Uno or I'm actually using, I don't know if you, if you can see it in the photo, but it's a uh, uh, Dumilinov. Um, it's functional equivalent to the Uno. It's just a little bit older. But the pinouts are all the same and, and you can use it just the same. So um, you, you get a shield, you get your proto shield, you put your circuits onto it. You can you have an LCD that you can wire up as shown on the right-hand side. It's very clear as far as what pins go to what. And then as far as the tone decoder wiring, it's a very simple. It's one chip. It's U1, and it's an LMC567. And just let me make a verbal note here. It's important that you get the LMC version with these particular components shown. Uh, this CMOS version, um, uh, the CMOS version, help me, Joe. The CMOS version has uh, particular uh, characteristics that 
Um, it uses tuning components for the center frequency that are um, uh, approximately three to one off from the older standard uh, 567, which is a trap I fell into when George showed me the circuit. I said, no, no, you got the wrong component values. And then I realized George was using an LMC 567. So there is a difference. If you want to use the component values shown, get the, uh, the newer uh, C version. Thank you, Joe. My tongue was really getting tangled there. Um, bottom line is it's a different equation. Curiously, there's a slightly different equation used with the older non-CMOS part that is with the, than is what's used with the CMOS version that's shown here. Now, you might look at this and say, oh my gosh, you got to get an LMC 567 and a .033 Mylar capacitor and a diode and all this and that. You might have it, you might not have it. And to ease the effort, what we did is we based this on the circuit of the Rookie. Remember the Rookie kit, the uh, uh, remote on-off keying, and we talked about that in the past episode as well. Well, we reduced... Uh, we still have some of these um, these rookie kits in stock here at uh, at, at my place, and um, we can make them. We we have made we dropped the price if you wanted to quickly get the parts. Uh, and it's quite a deal if you wanted to get started in this project. Otherwise, grab the parts out of DigiKey, no problem, and uh, you'll be off to the races, as it were. Now, operation of this is uh, pretty straightforward. Try to be minimalistic um, when you. When you run the software, um, a feature with the Arduino environment is that you can run a USB, you can run a serial port window. You have a little serial port window that can open up, and you can the software in your Arduino can actually talk to that terminal um, very nicely to act as an input-output capability, and that's what I use to set the, the clock. So once you load the software and you compile it and download it to your Uno, to your uh, Uno. Um, you can, um, it, it's, it displays the screen and it sort of sits there until you set the clock. You open up the serial port. There's a little button on the uh, Arduino window for that. Ask later on if you don't know where that is. And um, um, it'll open up and it'll be running and displaying some information. And you just have to hit a key in order to get a menu to come up. And there are seven choices. You can set the time or the date. Um, and then it then will continue onward to uh, to keep time. But that's the method right now that use for setting the time. And of course, you got to keep the power on all the time for the time to be remembered. So this is kind of an experimental platform. It's an it's a learning a learning platform for a first step. And uh, in order to synchronize or to to set the time without a serial port because we don't like to use no stinking computers all the time for these computer projects, for these micro encoded, um, micro coded uh, projects embedded. So there are two push buttons on there. The two push buttons are labeled up and down. And with those two push buttons, you can select the digit that you wish to change, and then you can move that digit up and down. Uh, you can select a digit by pressing hold a a, uh, the up button for a period of time and it moves over to the appropriate digit. Then the quick taps will bring it, uh, they increase or decrease that digit to the current time. So that's how you can do it without being connected to the computer all the time. And when you turn the power on, uh, you can get all set. And then normal operation again is you have that um, 
the audio cable going over to your rig or a shortwave receiver or um, something that's going to give you that uh, the one kilohertz tones and the 567 is going to detect those tones within a certain actually it's pretty wide I think I measured it it's about uh, the spec says it's got a 10% window of capture so it could go from nine 995 hertz to 105, uh, 1,005, 1,050. But actually, it's wider than that for some reason. Maybe it's my components. But uh, pretty wide capture. And uh, when it does capture, it turns on the LED, and that's uh, also the same signal that goes over to the Arduino. And the Arduino is sitting there looking at that input, and he's looking to see the, the appropriate transition for appropriate period of time. And uh, it's uh, actually... Uh, uh, that part is working pretty well. It's the ticking of the clock that uh, and the rollovers that I'm having some difficulty with, incrementing BCD numbers that are top top nibble, lower nibble, and those of you who coded at embedded levels know what I'm talking about there. Now the last feature for this basic what I call phase zero is that uh, you got to know how to <clears throat> you got to know where to tune once you build up the circuit. There's a uh, you see R10, it's a potentiometer there on U1, and that is able to actually, that changes the uh, the center frequency or the detection frequency for the chip. So um, we want to adjust that for 1,000 hertz. Now you could get a 1,000 hertz tone and, and pump it in, and that's kind of cool if you have one, either a DDS signal generator or a lab bench or even a tone coming in off your off your rig. But it's nicer to have a built-in capability, as we found with the Rookie Kit. We did the same technique. We have the controller, the Arduino in this case, generating a 1,000 hertz uh, square wave. We um, smooth that out with the uh, uh, the filtering components R4, R9, C5, and C6, um, showing the circuit. And then we pump that over into the input of the 567 with a jumper in the calibration position. So with a 1,000 hertz tone coming in, you simply adjust R10 until you get the LED to come on. And then you adjust it such that the position, uh, the adjustment of R10 is in the middle uh, of that window. And, and you can be assured of having uh, the best type of adjustment there. Then when you disconnect that plug or stop the Arduino, the light's going to go out, of course, because the tone is no longer being decoded by the 567. So that's the basic operation of this, it's very straightforward, and it's a, again a foundation building block. The synchronizing of some external signal into the time, time into the timekeeping sequence of the microcontroller that's actually displaying the time. So uh, we'll take a break there, and Joe, maybe you can kind of uh, start to extrapolate as far as like where else we can take this. I don't know. Did you ever see? Have I discussed the details of phase one, two, three, and four? Yeah, we've discussed them um, not in not any great depth, but I understand them in our uh, back and forth. Yeah, yeah, we can uh, certainly starting uh, uh, with any project. It's always nice to get something working and to uh, to start simple, uh, crawl before you work. Um, this is a, a great platform, very extensible to and very modular to uh, add features as we go along. To develop them, to integrate them into the software, to uh, to make a, a much more usable uh, clock, and kind of fun to play as we go along.
uh, you guys can uh, kind of look over our shoulders as as the development goes on. I'm sure there will be some byplay on the uh, chat with the designers uh, list so that you can see the uh, the evolution of this. Of course, we'll talk about it on the chat with the designers, but um, you can get some of the blow-by-blow -blow, um, descriptions of what works and the um, throws of what it takes to get um, uh, a succession of... Um, uh, more succinct, more uh, accurate, and uh, usable features into the uh, chat with the designer's clock. Kind of a, uh, a neat uh, program to, um, to build on. And uh, the Arduino platform makes it very, very easy to, uh, to do and uh, very available. Uh, you can even buy the darn things at Radio Shack. Do you call that, uh, that, that growth of features and stuff, Joe, do you call that increasing functionality? You would. <laughs> little side joke. Uh, functionality is not a word. It's not an official word. And Joe is a stickler in some areas, so I enjoy tweaking his chain from time to time. Um, now, another thing that we didn't mention that's kind of cool um, is we are developing, we, we have it uh, on the screen right now in one of the CAD layout programs is, uh, as you might think, it's the, CW, the chat with the designer shield. So our first shield as a group is going to be exactly, well, almost what you see here. We'll talk about what it well, also is going to be on there in a moment. But um, we're producing a shield, a very inexpensive plug-in that will accept an LCD, a standard LCD, um, accept a 567 chip and uh, another chip, and then you'll have exactly, with the software, um, what's called the um, the sketch um, with the appropriate sketch running on the controller, you'll actually have this thing running as uh, as we have it here. I'll have a YouTube up of it in, in live, you know, video uh, demonstration mode shortly too. The one thing that we're going to add to it is the very first step. Is well, actually, it's it's we're talking about this is phase zero. My phases are listed down underneath the picture of the. Uh, I hope. I hope it made it to the screen, to the uh, server. Um, the rookie, um, underneath the picture of the rookie, I have future features. Phase zero is the uh, tone detection that we have right now. And it's a it's a really easy thing, of course, to add a one pulse per second input. Uh, bypassing the tone decoder, going directly into that signal input line for the Arduino. So that's phase one. Phase two is, is one of the critical things. It's an RTC chip, real-time clock. It's a small 8-pin chip from Micro, I think I'm using the one from Micro, um, um, my, um, yeah, I'm using a small RTC chip and uh, uh, microchip, and it will allow, it has uh, I2C communication <clears throat> with the processor, and other people have done this on the, uh, in the Arduino world, and it's easy, an easy thing to, to grab onto from the software perspective, so I'm, I'm not at all worried about it. And the RTC chip is like on the order of uh, maybe 89 cents. So with an RTC chip on there, we will not have to worry about um, powering down and losing and resetting the time all the time when you uh, when you power it on. So that's an obvious big-time improvement that would really get us into the big-time usage of it being a clock that is running all the time, uh, sitting there on your bench, hanging on the wall with a 9-volt battery on it, whatever might be the case. 
Phase, uh, phase three is the addition of NMEA uh, serial stream coming in from either the PC port or from a GPS. Uh, GPS, most often from a GPS module. We found uh, several GPS hockey pucks or plug-in add-ons that merely uh, that send the data over the GPS cable that it connects into, that it uses to connect to the to its host, and it collects that NMEA data uh, just as it did in that one example for I showed for the GPS. So we're going to be able to take the uh, uh, the time and date and use that to set our RTC um, and synchronize the seconds in the same techniques that we used in the very first part with the tone detection. And then uh, lastly, phase five is a really cool thing because here's where we get to the quintessential, what I see the quintessential project is the addition of a small modem chip. I forgot where I saw this. Uh, Jody, recall where we saw this, uh, the reference to the uh, the Bell 103 modem? It was in one of the, uh, one of those references I said early on. I think it's actually CHU, not WWV. WWV does. I don't think they have the um, L103 format data. I think it's uh, their own modulation scheme, isn't it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is CHU. It was from some of the CHU uh, uh, data, uh, some CHU project, and you'll be able to find that in the references. I'll change that. Uh, I'll correct that to CHU, and that brings up uh, a phase six that I didn't mention. But first, on the phase five, it's a the MC145442 is a dip chip. I think it's 16 pins. It's not expensive at all. Maybe maybe four bucks, and um, with an appropriate op amp in front of it for level shifting and filtering, it can take in the signal from CHU and and uh, actually decode the data, the digital data that's being sent. So over the airwaves will now be able to take the digital data and synchronize our clock with a relatively inexpensive chip. And both this and the RTC, I believe, are going to be on our shield if I can fit it all. Um, doesn't have to be used. It's, an up, it's a future option, and we'll take it one step at a time. But uh, the modem is a nice, a nice addition. Phase 6 is in, in the, the gold ring, as it were, is to decode WWV. WWV also sends digital data relative to time and date, and it is a tech. It uses modulation techniques. We're not going to get into it now, but that require some um, heavy-duty processing. In fact, processing that is most ideally done with a DSP. Now, it just so happens that we have a convenient small DSP on a chip called the DISPIC30. We've used it in in the uh, the new PSK modem, we've used it in the SDR cube, and there are other many projects around that use the DISPIC. So there is a small expansion connector envisioned that will be on our chip with the designer's shield that will accept a small module that will take in that audio stream, decode it, and again synchronize over to send the synchronizing signal over to or data to the Arduino chip itself, and thus will be able to have uh, a pretty powerful, well-synchronized uh, clock. Now, you might say, I'm going to save synchronization. 
anomalies for just a, a moment, but we're going to take a big, long break here because we've just given tons of information about the project, especially. And I'd really like to open the floor for discussing the project of what about this? What about that? I don't understand this. How do you do that? What about the software? So if you've been holding your questions for now, please, now is the time to voice it. I'm getting tired of talking. This is a great project. Uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, my my question right now, and I don't mean to steal your thunder, is phase one. Uh, I presently don't have any kind of GPS equipment, and I remember, uh, oh, you know, about a year ago, you guys had a a fellow ham on here who discussed GPS, and you you had you were talking about uh, some kind of GPS module. Uh, did you guys do any more work with that? Uh, that's a very good uh, question, Al. I appreciate you bringing it up. Um, yes, we are, and it's just taken a long time with all the different things we've uh, got on the plate. But it is in progress, and probably if I were to kind of ballpark, it's going to be coming on the board, the prototype boards that we'll have will be probably during the month of, uh, well, uh, all reality probably at the beginning of March. So it's like another four weeks. But that module is coming out. But that's kind of an expensive module, all things considered. I'm talking, this is like, uh, it's probably going to be in the order of like 50 bucks with the chip and the board and the barest incarnation. Because that's a very quality, it's a quality uh, GPS module that we're using. What I was referring to for this GPS hockey puck, there are very inexpensive, like $14.95 um, GPS modules that you can buy off eBay and elsewhere that plug into a computer, and when the computer is running mapping software, street indexing software, weather software, clock software, whatever, that needs that kind of location or timing information, it's an inexpensive way to do it. So we've got our we've got our sights set on getting some of these hockey pucks, or at least identifying them, such that they would work here with our, um, our um, chat with the designer clock, and that would be a cheaper way to go. The module that you're referring to, our GPS module, is, is indeed going to be um, available coming up uh, relatively soon, but it's just not uh, ready yet, and it's not going to it's not going to be ideally suitable for this particular project. Although it could be if you if you happen to get both of them or be working on both of them. Does that make sense? Yeah, George. Thanks a lot for explaining that. That makes perfect sense. Okay, John, do you have a question? Hey, George, and good evening to everyone. So I think what you're talking about is the difference in maybe are you trying to get a 10 megahertz output right for calibrating test gear and kind of an in-house reference. Uh, that was a great uh, episode. That was one of the last ones I listened to in the truck commuting. And, and I think what you're talking about tonight is how do you, how do you synchronize electrical circuits, maybe using microcontrollers, for various projects where you might need to send data back and forth or have things start at a very specific time, you know, references that are a, a, a second or even maybe, maybe you know, even a shorter interval in accuracy. But, you know, one, one is around test gear and the other one is around day-to-day -day circuits and designs. Yeah, Roger, that. The first, the first one that you mentioned uh, was, was really was on the mark. Um, the, the more uh, complex or the, the GPS project that we talked about a while back, 
that is still being worked on, that is definitely a time signal source. It's a, a source of an accurate 10 megahertz signal and a one pulse per second signal that can be used in the shack for a number of purposes. Timing, you know, clock generation and uh, time clock synchronization is one of the purposes. Um, but this one here, this project here, is more specifically first and foremost for the display of accurate time. And um, what you mentioned is, is probably pretty good in that um, we can also take a, a time output. We can, uh, we can generate a one pulse per second signal as well from this, and it too can be used for synchronizing other things. I'm not too sure for reasons of the synchronization variability that I'll still come to. I've got it queued up here. Um, it's not going to be better. It will not be better than the one pulse per second coming straight from a GPS or from that GPS unit that we're talking about uh, uh, coming soon. But that's a, a great distinction. Thanks for pointing that out. Hey, Rick, I'm glad you glad you spoke up here. I know you've got a, you've got some questions queued up. Uh, you're talking here about purchasing an LT uh, panel. For use, future use with the, uh, with the other devices, uh, and I was just looking in your reference section, and it was saying something about ordering the LCD uh, either in combination with uh, the Rookie or directly from the CWTD project room. Uh, the project room uh, link appears to go to the front page. Doesn't have anything to doesn't speak directly to purchasing the LCD. So. Could you enlighten us a little more on that? My mind got tangled up in listening to you there. Um, the um, you can buy. We reduced the price in the rookie kit, and we have a limited number of the LCDs available, and you can get them in combination um, together. Is is that what you're asking? Uh, yes, but I, the link that you have that says you can buy it from the CWTD project room, the link goes back to uh, the page that just talks about what is scheduled where. It doesn't seem to have any opportunity to purchase an LCD on it. I'm checking that out as we speak. Yeah, the link goes back to that page, but if you scroll down below the paragraph, there's a table. Uh, that shows uh, the current projects that are available to order, and the, the projects that are underway. And uh, one of the one of the ones there listed under the things to order is the LCD for seven dollars, one per customer. Yeah, there you go, Al. Thank you. Um, yeah, that that's indeed it, um, uh, Rick. So if you go to the what's called the CWTD project room on our homepage, one that the matrix of things that that are available and some that are in progress yet, you'll see the LCD and that's where you would click on it. Does that help? I see it now. Sorry for the interruption. Not at all. You are never one to not have a technical question. Is uh, uh, is everything crystal clear here for you? Yeah, I think so. I want to go back and, and read all of the, the text that you've got in the body of tonight's uh, show. Uh, and uh, once again, you've pulled together uh, a lot of disparate sources that are well worth our time. Okay, there will good. be a test, Rick. Yeah, there will be a test. Okay. Um, other questions while we're at this breaking point here?
Good questions, by the way. I'm sorry, was there, was John, was that you? Uh, yeah, George, how you doing? Good, and uh, go ahead with your question. Great. Can you give me a part number on that LCD? Is that one of those Hitachi standards? Um, it is a Hitachi standard. It's the standard uh, one that uh, um, is most common used. If uh, I can get, I can post the number. It's the same LCD that we use on the Micro 908. Um, HD 44780 compatible. Yeah, I'm going to say that again, Joe. HD 44780 compatible. So, John, you can get any of those, uh, the HD 44780, uh, whatever it was, uh, compatible ones and use it. But And most often, it's kind of convenient that it comes out with the pinouts as shown here, but they do come out with pins on the side as well in a maybe a 2x5. If I would be 10, so probably 2 by 10 um, pinout arrangement. But no matter how you do it, uh, you'll always have it labeled, you know, what D0, D1, D2, D up to D7, and all the other pins are, and you just match them up. Okay, okay great. Uh, yeah, I think I have one, is what I was asking. Thanks a lot. And I saw somebody mention that one of, one of the future modes or future phases would be something with a big. Um, on a large LED um, display, and that's a great, great idea. Um, it might be a little bit more difficult from an interfacing standpoint, a little bit more complex, you know, multiplexing of seven segments and all of that sort of stuff. But uh, that's that's going to be a lot easier for reading than it is than it is to see a, a small LCD and one that doesn't have a backlight, if, if that's indeed what you use. So thanks for that suggestion on the LEDs. That can use another uh, another Arduino to drive it. Indeed. In fact, there's probably one kind of already designed and simply simple to use. One of the nice parts about using the Arduino is a building block like this. Okay, I'll give you another thought, another chance to think about uh, a question as we get into the last top, the last uh, aspect of time synchronization. And that's of uh, when do you actually turn turn the clock on? And this, in the in case here, recall that we wait for a signal to come along and then we turn the clock on uh, to start counting the seconds. I'm not sure I've got this totally ironed out yet, but by the time that you hear the, 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 the tone and decode it, the call it time zero, T zero, the top of the minute has already gone by. So if you want to have as accurate a time representation to the second as you can, you have to kind of back up the time a little bit in order to make that happen. Now, with the computers, with the microcontrollers, the Arduino, you can do that. And it just becomes a matter of, of knowing or sort of guessing and interpolating um, how much you should back up the clock after you decode the signal to have it be most accurate. Experimentation can come, can be best, um, can, can best help you here, and also some a priori understanding of what the, uh, the sources for your time, for your delays in that synchronizing pulse are. For example, by the time you hear the signal, um, the long signal, the long tone 
coming from WWV or CHU, um, chances are it is several hundred mic microseconds, perhaps less than, or already passed. Further, there is, uh, Joe, I think it's a, is it a seven cycle decode time on the uh, 567s? Yeah, it depends on the, the amplitude, but it's something you can measure. You you take a number of measurements and then average them to get an average uh, decode time. So, yeah, that and uh, you know, if it's seven cycles or eight cycles or nine or whatever, your uh, seven cycles at um, 1,000 hertz is dun, 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 seven milliseconds, um, 700 microseconds, I meant to say, 700 microseconds. And... You, that's that's timing that would be backed off of your uh, your ultimate internal timing that is you know being displayed up on the LCD. Other techniques or other uh, other time synchronizations coming in might tend to be a little bit more accurate or, or uh, relatable and accurate. For example, the one pulse per second time coming from a GPS unit ostensibly is going to be right on the mark, in as much as the signal is coming down from the sky. This is getting complex. This is where, if you're a what, what's called a time nut, the time nuts really, really concern themselves with these issues. I concern them with my my mind with those issues until enough I until I get a headache and then I just stop. But um, bottom line is that um, even the software, Joe, you pointed this out uh, the other day, and it's, it's so true. Your software that's running on the Arduino. Is running as often if you're using a polled method. You're running the software in a loop, looking for a transition of a of an edge when this tone is being decoded. For example, the time that it takes the computer to go around that loop could be several hundred microseconds as well, which kind of adds into the detection variability. So all said and done, we normally will need to back off the time a little bit, being represented in order to have it be closer to accurate. But experimentation is probably going to be your best friend. And uh, what we can do is also put an output here that can be monitored with a scope. And based on comparing that detection signal from the Arduino, and along with the actual signal of the time source that you're measuring, whether it's one pulse per second coming in or some other method, you'll be able to adjust a variable uh, delay for call it the back off delay, and then have a more accurate representation of your clock in that manner. Does that, uh, um, Todd asks, isn't precision more important than accuracy? Now, there are two different things, and I think it's uh, probably worthy of, of, of chatting about that. Joe, can you take the, that topic? <laughs> That's it. Throw it over to me. Sure. Yeah, we're we're aiming for precision here in, uh, in using the... Uh, the clocks to uh, uh, to get good time and uh, precision is is uh, how many significant digits you have uh, how many parts per million accuracy you have accuracy is uh, uh, closeness to a uh, desired goal and actually the uh, synchronization and adding the uh, time offsets for propagation time and for the uh, software uh, delays added and the uh, detection time of the uh, 567, for example, those are tweakers that you can add to a, a precise clock in order to improve the uh, time accuracy. In the end, um, it's all an approximation. Uh, 
but um, you try to do the best you can. Now, I look at it uh, um, a, a different angle in what you said. It's true, but uh, in, in a more simplistic sense, accuracy is how close the answer is correct. So if it says in the, in the display here shown on the actual device, 20 hours, 0 minutes, 0 seconds, if that is indeed accurate, the time is 0 seconds. Um, but we can have high precision and be off in in the accuracy. So if we, with repeatability, which is precision, if we repeatably show 20 hours, 0 minutes, 1 second, and when it's really should be zero seconds, we can have high precision, but the accuracy is off. So um, that that's just another way I think of what uh, I was saying. What you said, Joe, that's uh, precision and accuracy are often interchanged in in uh, daily parlance. But uh, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, accuracy is how how close it is to the right answer that it should be, and precision is um, how often or the frequency that you actually get the same answer all the time. So that's a that's a good question. Um, ideally, you want both. You want it to be accurate. You want to be accurate all the time. So that, that's uh, that's pretty good. Propagation um, was brought up a moment ago. Doesn't I think it was John or somebody else uh, uh, brought up? Uh, doesn't propagation vary from time of day to the bands that are used and so on? You're absolutely right. Uh, Joe, do you want to talk about that kind of variability? Yeah, it can uh, indeed vary. Uh, the more hops you have in the ionosphere, the more uh, the more time variability you're going to have. Uh, you can predict, uh, probably based on the geometry of the situation, based on uh, your distance from the uh, uh, from the transmitting station, and from an estimate of the uh, uh, ionospheric uh, level that uh, ionospheric altitude that's causing the uh, refracted signal to come back down. You can um, you can guess that, or you can approximate it to within probably several milliseconds. Uh, there will be some variation time to time, but um, um, in the end, uh, you're probably going to be able to get within uh, I would guess 10 milliseconds of um, of right on. And generally speaking, that's uh, that's probably pretty. Uh, it's about good enough. Ten milliseconds. That's that's pretty darn good for normal usage in the shack. I'm not sure that it's good enough for synchronizing up a uh, JT65A communications uh, with your rig. Uh, you might want to do something different or more uh, purposeful uh, for that. But for certainly for the process of getting to accurate time and creating something with your own two hands in that manner, I think this is uh, this can achieve a high degree of, of accuracy for our purposes. And uh, it can be a fun project to do along the way in the process, of course. We're learn we are learning a lot about the Arduino, those of us who would be building this, and uh, that in itself is, is kind of uh, worth its weight in gold. Whether it's uh, this will be used as a launching pad for other types of projects that you have, and you will be amazed when it comes time to make changes and understand the the simplicity and, and the straightforward manner in which you are able to use this microcontroller on your bench, and it's low power and it has a lot of capabilities that uh, we're only scratching the surface on here. So 
um, this is fun stuff, and there's a lot of things that we can you know, we can take this forward. Uh, uh, we can create another shield, perhaps. I'm, I'm thinking that many times our projects need a um, need a display mechanism and also need some some keyboards, uh, some uh, uh, push button input controls. There's a couple of good uh, LCD and keypad uh, um, push button shields out there already. So it's not our intention to replicate anything, but if we have a dedicated type of project like this, it uh, might be worthwhile taking and uh, taking those basic components and adding something to it, whether in this case it's a time um, type of uh, um, type of, of shield, you know, hardware, or maybe it's a built-in DDS that provides a um, VFO that is settable and controllable sitting on top of, uh, of an UNO, Arduino UNO, or do, uh, do Milanov or whatever uh, another one might be. So um, this is kind of the direction we're going, at least for now. And I think it, uh, I think it can be kind of fun. So I urge you, we urge you to get your hands on some of the parts. Order yourself that $7 Proto Shield. Order yourself, if you haven't got the UNO yet, get yourself the UNO. It's the... Uh, it's the state of the art from from the Arduino, uh, with a nice big pinout that you can plug these different shields in. There's, look at last week's episode; has tons of shields that you can buy. And if uh, remote control, or if uh, turning lights on for a science fair project with the with the kids, if any of this is interesting, there's a shield for it. You can grab it and and really kind of show off your uh, your capabilities as a technologist. I think you'll impress yourself and you'll impress others. And of course, come back here to the uh, chat with the designer session to our um, our list on Yahoo groups and ask questions if you have problems. If if you haven't encountered, if you are encountering something, a problem, a stumbling block, chances are somebody else did, and, and chances are somebody else got by already. So it's a great opportunity to kind of bootstrap yourself and, and have some fun and a useful project along the way. All right. Any uh, any final questions here after we've uh, kind of beat this topic to death? And uh, um, anything else that, that's on your mind relative to going forward with the Arduino, with the chat with the designer clock, or anything in between? George, George? Uh, yeah, I saw Gary first. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, George, first I want to apologize for having that set up when I first came on earlier tonight. I... Um, had started using a different computer for this and hadn't uh, done the setup properly. I didn't mean to screw things up for everybody. Um, I had a question uh, regarding your phase zero through five. Now today I built the um, the rookie, and I was wondering, um, can you predict how far that's going to take us through those phases, and at what point? Uh, well, we'd need to switch to um, to another, uh, uh, you know, another board uh, just so I can start uh, doing some planning here. Uh, this is really fascinating. And then I got one question on the rookie. Um, well, well, first, no problem at all. I'm really glad that you were able to hear me and when you came on first and were able to kind of solve your problem. Um, I think I sound kind of short when it's happening, but it's my intention to really kind of quickly help the person correct the audio problem so we can continue on. So thanks for doing that. As far as the 567 is concerned and the use of the rookie, um, 
I think the longer term, the longer term, you know, the end goal is to use the RTC chip, which can be used with the rookie, you know, the, with a with a tone decoder. Um, and the other technique, I view them all as almost like a any one of them could be, except this phase zero is standalone. We, uh, this is not a long term thing because we need to retain retain the uh, uh, the time and date. So, uh, but I see the 567 is staying with this project because it's a method uh, that uh, we have for synchronizing the seconds, whether we're using a an RTC chip to hold the uh, uh, to hold the time, to use the one pulse per second input from a GPS um, um, in a certain way that we can still use uh, the 567. And, um, so I think it's probably a worthwhile effort. It's a small investment of uh, real estate on the board. Um, it is going to be on the final shield that we that we actually produce a PCB for. So I, I don't think it's a, a lost, uh, um, a wasted effort, Joe. Okay, I had just one other. Gary, quick... I meant to say Gary. Sorry. No problem, Joyce. Uh, just one one quick question. When I uh, you were talking about being in the calibrate mode and adjusting R10 for the the right uh, band pass there, when I when I did that, as I um, I cranked it down to where it dimmed, and then I brought it up slowly, and there was a little bit of uh, of radius error turn where it would kind of flicker, and then it would come on solid. I assumed that. I should take it all the way to where I had a solid glow on that LED. Was that the correct way to do it? Yeah, solid glow is always good. What I normally do is take it to either extreme. I find where it uh, uh, where it first turns on, then I count the number of turns until it comes full on and then goes full off again. I divide it in half, and I come back to that center point, and that's usually kind of enough of a midpoint to, to give me confidence that I've got adequate uh, um, centering of the of the capture frequency. Thanks a lot. Yes. So what John, so what uh, Gary was talking about, of course, was the uh, the rookie, and it uses the very same principle as we actually turn it around. We're using the very same principle here on the uh, on the our our Arduino clock as is used in the rookie. So again, if you got the rookie, there's a great source of the parts, and the, the same techniques are used and if you assemble your rookie with the parts elevated a little bit, you'll be able to later snip them off and put them into a um, another board that uh, you know the the Arduino uh, proto board. So you'll be able to reuse the parts without any problem. Oh, and also this is so cool! I forgot to mention it. Um, pretend that you that you want to see the on off keen of Morse code coming across your receiver. So you adjust your receivers such that the Morse code is at 1000 hertz. And guess what? That LED is going to blink on and off in time with the Morse code. Now, there's all sorts of things you can do in, in, with that. Well, at least two. And uh, I'll let your imagination run wild on that. But that's another kind of a cool feature for uh, uh, use of the rookie and this particular technique of tone detection. Uh, John, did I see you had uh, raised your hand? Yeah, hi, George. Uh, I was just wondering if you were aware of a software package that gets used with Arduino a lot called fritzing, 
F-R-I-T-Z-I-N-G. Um, I, I'm just starting to, to touch it, and it's um, schematic capture. You can basically take a breadboard design and um, render it to a schematic. But the interesting feature is it's got uh, some libraries with uh, Arduino shield parameters on them, so you can... Um, uh, you know, you can make laying out uh, shields uh, pretty straightforward. Um, right now, Fritzing does, uh, will build them for you, but they're in Europe. And I was, I'm going to dig into it more to see if there's a way to get, uh, you know, to be able to have industry standard design files that you could send to, you know, uh, PCV123 or someplace like that to get shield, you know, one off or, or a few shields made. Back to you. Thank you, John. I appreciate you pointing that out. I did come across the name today because it's an unusual name, and I said, hmm, I wonder where that came from. But beyond that, I did not know. So whatever you learn in your little research about this uh, would be great if you could share it back here with the group. Uh, probably by the list would be the best way. And if you contact me, I can uh, I can get it onto the page here. I'd, I'd sure like to know what that is as well. It sounds like a really easy way to uh, to help guys spin up their own Shields. Yeah, also, uh, there's also uh, on um, the Adafruit site, they have learn.adafruit.com. Uh, they have uh, some tutorials on fritzing as well. All right, took some notes there. Did somebody else speak up at the same time? Uh, yeah, one more question. Okay, go ahead, Rick. You mentioned there was a special price on the rookie. What is that price? Ten bucks. Yeah, Pete, go yeah, ahead. Pete, go ahead. Uh, yeah, changing the subject just a little, but you have a line on the whiteboard on internet time synchronization. The internet time synchronization provided on Windows 7, at least, and previous versions, is very, very simple and not uh, really very good. Uh, I have been looking for a software package that will update the computer's clock to one of the Internet time servers, something that is actually effective and actually works because most of the ones that I've tried are very old, they're not Windows 7 compliant, and they don't work or they don't work very well. So I just was curious if there is an Internet time sync package, would be nice if it's free, of course, that, that actually works under current operating systems. I don't know, and that's why this section is blank, because I didn't know, and I would really be appreciative if, if you would help me and try to find the answer to that question. Does anybody else uh, use Internet time synchronization interfaces? So if we can find out this, um, uh, Pete, I think that would be great addition to the capability for the board. I was assuming that we'd be uh, connected over to the computer via the um, USB cable. So it's perhaps just a matter of having the right driver, <laughs> just the matter. And um, in Windows 7, that will be able to relay that time off to an external device. That'd be great. Well, I wasn't even thinking about that. What I was thinking about is just setting the computer's clock to the Internet time server, which Windows does once in a while when it feels like it, and it's semi-configurable but doesn't really work very well and doesn't, uh, isn't, isn't uh, amenable to frequent updates that, that you'd need for 
you know, some of these JT65 type uh, programs and some other things that you might want. So this is this is what I'm saying. I've, I've looked for it every every few months, or I, I, I look for these things, and I don't really find one, which is why, of course, I was I was asking. the The idea is to get the computer's clock synced, and then the computer can presumably sync other stuff as as uh, conditions warrant. But the whole point is that this should be something that's readily available and can't be very difficult for somebody who's a computer programmer to do. But these things aren't around. Now, they used to be. There were a whole bunch of programs that worked under XP and previous, but they've all vanished. Yeah, good point. Um, I'm not sure why they have vanished. I'm not really. I know there is a site. There are several sites that you can go to, World Time, and there's a button there that says Synchronize Now. So that would be the technique that I, I – I'm a software programmer, um, and the way that I would approach it is to do – to go to someplace like that that overtly has an API that allows uh, that can be intercepted or otherwise monitored when you go to a site like that and it sets your computer clock at that precise moment you can also just intercept in the event and send it over send that send an event just a just an event over the USB cable and the receiving side our uh, our shield can uh, can take that event as the uh, as as the master sync. Um, but again, let's let's keep our eyes open for that. that that'd be a good addition for the, the board, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's plenty of ways of doing it manually, but hey, you know, we have we have computers, and uh, yeah, I'm looking for. I, I, I did. I've Googled dozens of times for uh, NTP clients, and have have not found anything that works. So, anyway, that's uh, an open uh, an open question there for somebody to uh, investigate. Maybe they'll be luckier than we are. Um, uh, Terry, standing by. JJ, go ahead. Yeah, hi. Um, one of the programs I use is uh, called NetTime, and that's a uh, SNTP protocol um, client for goes all the way up to, I believe it goes all the way up to um, 7. I use it on 7, so it's pretty. It's, it's a freebie, so it just uh, synchronizes your PC to it. Good to know. Thanks an awful lot. Okay. Um, uh, NetTime is one of those that is not maintained. It was written in uh, like 1997, and <laughs> it's been updated a little bit, but it really isn't current. And uh, what does it say here? Uh, you know, uh, basically, it isn't. Uh, it, 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 it's a very old program. Okay, we'll take okay, care. We'll, we'll, take we'll find it and. We'll we'll, uh, we'll delve into it and bring it back to the group here. It's going to require some research. Terry, um, you had uh, you had a comment. Yeah, sorry, I um, hit the hit the uh, wrong control key, I guess. But um, I was uh, switching subjects on the uh, on the real time clock chip. You'd said it's a it's a microchip. Um, have you looked at uh, the uh, Maxim uh, DS thirteen oh seven because it seems to be a very popular with both the Arduino crowd, the Adafruit crowd, the Seed Studio crowd, and the um, Raspberry Pi crowd. Yeah, I think after I, after I stumbled with the microchip name, I realized that's why I was stumbling, because it, I kept seeing a DS in my mind, and I couldn't remember that that was in my, um, a Maxim chip. You're absolutely right. I recall seeing that around a lot, too, so that's probably what would be. That's I2C, isn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, oh, great. Thank you. That's... Um, I've got two or three of them around here, so that'll be cool. Outstanding. Do you remember the cost of it? 
it was about three bucks, I think. Um, you can get a board uh, that has the the uh, everything, the chip, the um, battery holder, and the um, and the um, crystal for like nine ninety five from various sources. So it's it's well under that. Sounds good. Great reference. Thanks an awful lot. Other questions here. We are well out of time, but this is good information and. If you stayed awake and plugged in here long enough, that sounds like you're interested as well. So any other comments along the way here? Yeah, for the guy looking for an issue on syncing a Windows 7 clock, you, I, I posted a link to a, a site that's got a write-up. Um, I, I just run a repeating job every uh, two hours or so to sync the clock, and that seems to work well for me. Out, outstanding, Bill. Thank you so much. Um, I... I see that now. I didn't uh, didn't check out the link, but that's that's good. And I was going to say networks do this all the time. Networks have to keep precise time from on the firewalls and, and such. So just whether you cron it and just kick it off from time to time or whatever, it's uh, it, it's certainly doable. The, the the automatic manual sense. Yeah, well, it's a, it's amazing how much the damn clock will drift. <laughs> it, um, it, Windows does not make it easy to do this. It, uh, but it, they should, but uh, they don't. Indeed. And I would think the HP SDR, uh, shucks, is it Excalibur? Uh, it deals with this in some fashion? Um, no, actually, we've got a 10 megahertz reference board, and there's a guy actually working on a GPS board, and there had been some prototype work done to take the, uh, not the NEMA stream, but the... Uh, native stream off of a Jupiter GPS and use that to tell uh, the board what time it was for uh, whisper transmitting. All right. All right. All these acronyms and words for people who haven't been plugged into some of these other side technologies is still great stuff. Hey, thanks for joining us again here tonight. It's nice to have you aboard. Okay. Um, um, any final questions? I'm going to say one thing you might have some fun with, or at least we found with some of the GPSs, is the uh, NEMA time can lag like five or ten seconds um, from what the real time is versus whatever the uh, the native protocol of the given GPS receiver. So uh, you might have some discoveries to, to find on that. Five or ten seconds? Yeah, I have... Uh... I have a little bit of insight on that for those who are uh, familiar with using uh, the, the generic uh, navigation receivers that are that are commonly available. Um, it's it's not uncommon at all for those receivers when they first start up cold to be off by several seconds, uh, depending upon how they were designed at the firmware level with regard to what is known as the the GPS to UTC offset value. Until that value is received uh, over the air from the satellites, which can take up to, if I recall correctly, something like 12 and a half minutes maximum, depending on when you drop into the cycle uh, with the receiver. Um, until that information is received, the uh, the time uh, emitted from the uh, NMEA strings or any other interface you're using can be off by many seconds. And it can be very frustrating sometimes on the simpler receivers where there's no flag available that tells you whether or not you're looking at a 
at, at UTC time with a, with a valid offset or if you're looking at, at um, a time that hasn't been corrected yet with the UTC offset. So it can be, um, it can be difficult sometimes uh, unless you're using a more advanced GPS receiver that can give you a more uh, elaborate status. Holy cow. Well, I guess that uh, that's really a good testament for test what you've developed to think to, to see if you're getting what you think you're getting. Um, I had not realized that. I've not even considered that. Um, although getting things all kind of giving it some things, giving equipment time to settle and synchronize and and uh, warm up, as it were, is, is, is an obvious thing. Maybe that falls into that category. Brent, I think we're going to talk a little bit about this in the future. You and I, um, I appreciate your your, uh, your your joining us here tonight. Thanks for that comment. Okay, it's late. Uh, Joe, why don't you uh, why don't you recap and take us home? All right. Yeah, a lot to recap. Um, I'll try to go through it pretty quickly. What we've discussed tonight is uh, time, and it's uh, it's basic uh, basic uh, uh, nature, um, how how time uh, has evolved over the years, use of time, and uh, timekeeping in particular. What we've tried to do here tonight is to uh, tie that together with amateur radio applications, where time is important, how people get uh, get time, how they uh, assure accuracy, and uh, trying to throw in a a project uh, that's going to evolve, which is a um, Tying all of the uh, the above together and building a, a clock usable by hams uh, based on the Arduino pr platform, so that uh, uh, it's it's relatively easy to get started. And um, we're going we're going to talk. We have talked. We will be uh, providing a, um, a sequence of uh, additions to the basic uh, uh, chat with the designers clock that has been outlined. Uh, particularly on the, uh, the whiteboard, uh, starting off simple with something just to synchronize, just to have a very basic clock, to synchronize it with WWV, and then extending into additional modules that, uh, that can be added to, um, to improve the accuracy of the time and the, uh, the precision of the time so that uh, one can have a clock that they can really, really understand and appreciate and to rely on. Um, lots of good ideas thrown around here. We're going to have to do some more uh, research, but um, we are providing the basis. Uh, if you folks buy an Arduino, we're trying to provide the basis through uh, Midnight Design Solutions so that um, you can get started building some of this and to, to evolve the project along with us. Uh, we, we recommend highly that you read the whiteboard to go through the uh, references we've included there. There are lots of them. And to, um, to log on to the Chat with the Designers Yahoo group to stay in touch with us. And it will be an evolving project that um, we will have updates as we go along. Thank you all for participating tonight. Send uh, to CX. And thank you, Joe. Thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us here tonight. We had another record-breaking crowd with us live. Appreciate that kind of support. And please let us know. Um, how we're doing, always, either direct contact or through the list. Let us know what you want to hear more about, what puts you to sleep, and uh, 
we'll, we'll do what we can. We really, I really enjoyed the program tonight. So uh, we'll see you all in three weeks. Three weeks. We'll have notices posted on the on the board, but nonetheless, that's that's when we'll get about um, uh, next come around. And in the meantime, please give your uh, get get your parts together um, for your your homebrew uh, chat with a designer clock. You'll be guaranteed to get it built before the uh, we have our shield ready. So you can always have the shield as uh, you know the, the PCB that we're making as a as an improvement. Uh, to give you more capabilities, and uh, then you can you'd be advancing with us all along. We'll be posting the software in increments, so that functional increments that work, and you can enjoy the, uh, the 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 progress there too on your own bench. Thank you all and good night. This is George N2APB along with Joe N2CX saying good night from Chat with the Designers. Bye.